Hi everyone, Terry Wolbrock here. Today's guest, Luis Mojica. Wow. So you'll notice when you listen into this episode that he invites me to be uh, a part of his six-week course. And so I am on week four of it right now. We had done this interview back in June of 22. And it is now August of 22 that I'm putting this out here. So I did start his his six-week course, and let me just say, it is everything that I needed, wanted, been looking for, and then some. I, I, I truly mean just mind-blowing in so many ways, and the information that is being given to us, but the the sharing of stories by, I think there's maybe 300, over 300 people in this particular uh, course. The availability to ask questions, the community, uh, it's part of, I think, Circle. And the just the accessibility of information, but then also additional speakers coming in and sharing insights. There's one going on right now that um, I'm going to watch the recorded um portion of it because we can then go back and watch these hour and a half presentations but then live demos go on and people volunteer and so to witness this work being done is just amazing because there's sometimes that they'll be doing something and Luis will ask the person who has volunteered something along the lines of notice it in your body and They'll say, oh, in my chest. And I'll have just thought to myself, oh, in my chest. And then you know, one of the ones around food, it was uh, in, in what do you, what what's your addiction? Or what, not, maybe not addiction, like what's your craving? And it was a cookie. And I had just thought, oh, I just stood in front of the pantry and thought, gosh, I really wish I could have a cookie. And so it's just very fascinating how, how um, yes, I, I, I can so relate as some of these demos are going on, um, but incredibly, incredibly powerful interview, so much insight. I love this man's energy, and uh, it's just just a beautiful soul doing beautiful work, so one of my favorite uh, interviews to date. So now for the show. Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I'm your host, Terry Welbrock. I'm so excited to have with me today, Luis Mojica, and he is somatic therapist and nutritionist and founder of Holistic Life Navigation. So welcome, Luis. Thank you, Terry. Nice to be here with you. Absolutely. I'm I'm very excited to learn. I told you I've been on my own personal healing journey this past year with a physical um mold toxicity crazy as that is we moved into a new house and had no idea of the history of this house and it was filled with mold um so my body went ah (laughs) and went into a little bit of uh, immune system overdrive so that's where i am uh on my journey so yeah i'm i i'm excited personally to learn from you but i also know the audience is is wanting to hear about the work you're doing so Talk to us a little bit about um, your role. Like, what what is holistic life navigation? 
Holistic life navigation is a kind of a form of therapy that I just invented, you know, because I was trying at so many different things. I was trying coaching. I went to school for psychotherapy. I was trying uh, somatic healing. I was a nutritionist. There were all these different approaches, somatic experiencing uh, in particular, that I loved. And I felt like they all needed to, to converse together instead of just focusing on one modality. So holistic life navigation was the the kind of title I came up with for what I do or what I practice, I should say. And it, it really combines nutrition, self-inquiry, and somatic experiencing specifically to heal stress and trauma. It, it works for so many things, but stress and trauma tend to be the, the bulk of my work. Beautiful. And I, I love it only because I love that idea of self-inquiry, that it's just such a really important part. And I've learned to do that now. So are you talking going using meditation to then really tune in to what your body's trying to tell you? Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's, you know, it's, it's, when we think of common meditation, we think of, I shouldn't say common, but when a lot of people think of meditation, they think of emptying the brain, right? The mind, letting all the words float away. Or when you see thoughts coming, let them keep going, which is great. The kind of self-inquiry that interests me is more of a somatic self-inquiry, which is what you're touching in on. What does my body feel? Where do I feel it? What is it saying? And do I have a practice that 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 supports me relating to those parts of myself? So I've, I was studying and practicing self-inquiry from the work of Byron Katie. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Yes. Um, yeah, and it totally changed my life because I learned that I'm not my thoughts. And thoughts have this sensational experience that completely changed how I live. So when I started having a way to notice my thinking and have a little space between identifying with the thinking and witnessing the thinking, I learned there was such a healing that took place when I was witnessing the thoughts. So I kind of ran that through the same lens of the somatic work. What if I witnessed the body instead of identified with the body? And it was mind-blowing, you know, what happened. Oh my gosh. I love that. I, I still have these lingering bits of the trauma that we just haven't been able to tap into and through EMDR therapy and all these various modalities. And every now and then I test myself, I'll go do something that will normally be a trigger and starting to do that more and more. But I love what you just said of, yeah. And what was it instead of identifying as the body, Exactly. Witnessing the body. Cause then you become this friend to your body. It's not like I'm no longer, I'm no longer anxious. It's like some place inside of me is anxious. So if I feel anxiety in my chest, I get to witness, Oh, my chest is holding anxiety. And if I witness that I get to converse with that anxiety and kind of sit with it, learn what it's about, what it needs. If I identify with it, I lose all my agency of actually communicating and relating to it because I am the anxiety then I spin, you know, or distract myself with social media or, you know, whatever else I, I might do. It's a big difference when you witness versus identify. Right. Fascinating. So now yeah. I know for me personally, I, I have a response, a very, um, we talked just a bit before hitting record, like the fawning part, but I have the, the, like the instantaneous, you know, want to run away and hide reaction. Is there a way to then kind of like pause that, stop that as you allow yourself to then, okay, hold up a second. <laughs> yeah, this is a great question. So this is where a little education would come in first. 
uh, you're speaking to trauma responses and there's four general trauma responses. That's fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. You just spoke to two, which is flight and freeze. You want to run away and then hide, right? So that's like a flight freeze response, which a lot of people have. What's so fascinating about, again, witnessing the body instead of identifying with it is these trauma responses, they, they begin as low level sensation. So let's say I start, let's say I decide I'm going to go see a friend tonight. And just the thought of seeing the friend creates a, a dipping feeling in my stomach, like something kind of pulls down, there's like a heavy pressure. But I might not notice that if I'm over-identified with my body or if I'm dissociated from it, I can't feel those sensations. So it's already telling me hours before the event, something doesn't feel right to me. So, but I don't hear it, let's say in this example. So I go about my day, that feeling kind of builds, I go to the event, and then the feeling builds into a full-on whether it's a panic attack or a trauma response, where there's so much charge in me, my body's trying to propel me away from what seemingly is threatening. And this is the trick of, of trauma. Trauma for the body, like a trauma response, can happen just by perceived threat. It doesn't have to be an actual life threat. So a lot of people think, well, no one hurt me, or it's just my friend, or it's just my mom. It's okay that I get nauseous whenever I talk to her. It's not the person themselves that's hurting you. It's how the body takes on the experience. So I always say trauma isn't the event. It's the response to the event. So when we're learning, like you said, the great word pause, when we're learning how to get in relationship with these trauma responses, what we're really doing is first we're learning how to witness them, which means the sensations of them before it turns into flight, before it turns into fawning. We look, well, what does it feel like before it actually full on flight or fawns? And then over time, you start to learn, oh, when my shoulders go up, that's my body's signal of saying, you're going to freeze if you continue whatever it is you're doing. So I notice my shoulders going up and then I might breathe into my shoulders. I might look around the room and show my body that right now nothing's happening. And just that little redirect will start releasing some of that adrenaline that would propel me into fight or flight. So it's, it's a pause in terms of I stop and notice it and then I sit with it. And then it transforms and doesn't turn into a full-blown trauma response. Oh my gosh. Thank you for that. Because I was, I, I was taking it a step further and getting to the place of triggering <laughs> and yeah, then yeah. saying, okay, Terry, now you need to sit with it. You have to allow it. And instead yeah. my body was like, no. <laughs> yes. I love that example because you're giving a great example of like immersion therapy where you take yourself to the, the point of trigger, which I totally respect. I've done the same thing just to kind of test, is my body over this or not? And if we just think, and anyone listening can try this right now with us, if we just think of something that triggers us, you will immediately feel a sensation being triggered. You'll feel a tension in the chest. You'll feel like a clenching in your gut. You'll notice, oh, my hands are like on fire or my body wants to shake. So you don't even have to go and do it. You can just think of it and it shows you if it's still alive inside of you. And then you get to build some capacity, relate to it, take your time with it instead of push it beyond its boundary. Because that no, it's a boundary and we want to respect that until it transforms. Right. And I love that idea of transforming it as well. And, and totally, as you were talking, and I was envisioning myself taking myself to that place, my stomach's just flipping, flipping, butterflies, yes. butterflies were a flopping. And so, yeah. yes, so yes. then that would be what I would want to sit with right now and be like, yes. okay, so let's find. Now, do you recommend people journal on it? They, they meditate? What, what, are there different options? What works for each individual? 
What I love is I'm not big. I'm not against journaling at all, actually. Um, the thing that's cool about somatics, the more you practice and, and learn about them, like somatic psychology, somatic experiencing is what I'm trained in. You start to learn that the body is just doing it already. And it just needs the mind to get out of the way. And then the mind or the consciousness, even more than the mind, becomes kind of the guide or the support system to the body that already wants to release it. So journaling can be really helpful for some people and it can still over-identify us. What I love about your example of, I think about it right now, like you're in your, are you in an office right now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you're in your office, you think about the triggering event, you feel the stomach flipping. This is where we would want to invoke the event before we're there, feel the sensations, and then we can actually relate to our space. So if you just right now, if you want to try this with me, sure. just slowly look around the room, like slower than it seems natural. And any of you listening can follow us. Yeah, just like I just slowly turn your head over your one shoulder and look around and look up. And as we look around, we're looking at our actual environment, noticing what do I like here? What's pleasant? What, what does my body feel in response to this space? And tell us what you notice. What do you feel as you look around? I, I just keep like, I, smiles keep popping yeah. up because I'm like, oh, that memory of that person that gave me that heart. And oh, look, there's the state of Ohio where I moved from. I'm, so every, I just, I mean, I obviously surround myself with beautiful, inspiring things. But so, yes, I was feeling very, and my stomach's not flipping as much. <laughs> That's right. So what's really cool about this is you're teaching us through your body uh, what I love to talk about, which is attunement. And so when you think about that thing you're going to do that triggers you, you feel the trigger, good, you want to know it's there. And then you attune to the space you're in, and that space becomes a resource. It, it creates an expansion in us, lowers our adrenaline, like your smile came up. So this kind of vitality enters, which becomes a medicine to actually then sit with what's flipping in the gut. So it, it's a beautiful practice of actually finding our safety while simultaneously relating to and going into the, the trigger rather than the actual going into the event itself, right? Just we use the sensation, not even the event. And then there's so much, I mean, there's so many options once you start, like this is how we'd begin a session. You know, we'd resource the body, feel the safety of the present experience. And then that's an anchor to sensationally go into the butterflies in the gut. And then we might do self-inquiry. You might notice what are the butterflies in the gut saying to you? What's the lineage of the butterflies in the gut? How far back in your lifetime or even in your parents or grandparents' lifetime is this a trigger in the family, this kind of dynamic? You know, what need pops up? Like so much information comes through the sensation, yet a lot of us don't get to that level because we lose our present safety and then we get overwhelmed by the sensation and then we cope. We go into binge eating or with withholding food or we watch a ton of television or we reflexively call somebody. We just distract ourselves unconsciously from that feeling like the butterflies in this case. However, if we have the safety and we pause into it, we don't need a distraction because we feel safe and we feel the trauma response. It's like a double experience, which is really fascinating and uh, effective at actually being able to be with the, the discomfort, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, gosh, you, you've just blown my mind away because in, and I feel like it's a little therapy session going on because as you talked two-year-old me popped into my head. And so there was two-year-old me. So I was like, oh, I had to go back to two. So yes, but yes. I was right there in that high chair as two-year-old me. So that's ah. what's fascinating is the body just shows it to you. You know, like you don't have to go to therapy and figure out what am I going to talk about? 
if you go to somatic therapy, you go, okay, what does my body want to talk about? And you notice the butterflies, just like you did, you let them show you something and they'll show you an, an image connected to that sensation. So it, it's, it's fascinating. Like it blows my mind every time. Yes. Oh, you're blowing my mind right now. This is amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, so yeah, at that point, I'm just sitting here so amazed that I didn't even have another question pop into my head. Normally I'll have one pop in, but <laughs> I'm with, fine with me. We can sit in the amazement together. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so awesome. Well, one of the other things I think we had to make a little left turn, um, was talking about, were you actually, it's not so much of a left turn because we had talked about the four different responses. Can you talk a little bit about fawning? We haven't talked about that a whole lot on the show. Mm. I love talking about fawning. I can't talk about fawning enough. Fawning is the most least talked about trauma response. That's why I love talking about it. And I did it my whole life. So I have like a personal attachment to it. Uh, it's fascinating. So it's this trauma response where the body reflexively rewind every trauma response we have is automatic that that's the most important thing for everyone listening they're automatic reflexive re uh, autonomic responses so the same way we sneeze and we can't control that when a pollen or something goes into our nose trauma response is the same thing for the nervous system the nervous system reflexively fight flights freeze or fawns when it feels like it's in danger or overwhelmed fawning is a strategy the body uses to appease the threat. So if the person in front of you is an actual life threat, or again, an overwhelm that feels threatening or feels overwhelming too much to handle, the body will reflexively socially engage with that person, smile when it doesn't want to, when you don't want to smile, laugh when nothing's funny, nod, say yes, like all these things that we do, just, just not even knowing that we're connecting to the person, you know, physiologically or without gestures, because the body has learned in the past and from our, our parents and such, like through our own bloodlines, this is one way we get to survive situations with people who could be dangerous. And it goes really far back. I mean, if we go into a primitive, primitive place here, if you're, if you're face to face with someone who might take your life and you're able to befriend that person or charm them or make them feel good, it relaxes their body and you might be able to escape. You might be able to mobilize into a flight response then. So fawning is, is actually, it's, it's ancient, and it's a way that we try to appease the other person that might be hurting us. I find it so important to talk about because there's so much nuance and misunderstanding with sexual trauma, mm -hmm. where a lot of people will have sexual trauma, but they can't necessarily call it rape. They can't necessarily call it assault because it wasn't violent, let's say, or there wasn't force. They went along with it. And, and this even happens in marriages. You know, I've had people married for decades together. The safe marriage, like love, loving each other, consensual intimacy and everything. Yet the person's body is so conditioned to fawning that it says yes, even to their partner they love when they don't feel it. So over the years, this constant unconscious boundary violation creates a, a trauma. And you can have sexual trauma without actual violation because you were fawning and you thought you wanted it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, I know it's like a deep turn, but I think it's an important thing to bring up because so many people are like, why do I have all this sexual trauma, but I can't find an event of violence? This is, this is a big reason why. Wow. That's one of those mind blowing aha moments. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And the amount of people I have found that 
understand fawning or learn about it and then start understanding sexual fawning, which is what I'm speaking to here, it's, it immediately starts to release this shame and this guilt and this confusion because they start to understand, oh yes, I, I didn't actually want that, but I wanted to make them happy, right? Or I didn't really want that, but I, I really wanted a second date. So I went along with it. And this is not gender-based. We have this idea that only women do this. Everyone does this in different ways. And again, the sexual trauma is very present as a result. Wow. And you know, one of my hashtags I use quite often as you were speaking is trauma survivor, or I'm sorry, trauma warrior, trauma warrior. And what I think about is, wow, trauma survivors are really pretty smart when it comes to survival because I know I've utilized all four of the different, <laughs> I, yeah, I have my go-to, which is, you know, the, the freeze is my yeah. go-to, but um, I think, oh, I've done fawning for sure. So it's almost like sizing up the situation, right? That's exactly what happens. And it's so important as well to disidentify the person from the trauma response. You know, like I'm not sizing up the person my body is. Because when we're in the trauma response, we're dissociated. No one is consciously like, I'm laughing when I don't want to. In hindsight, they really, they say, why did I just laugh? Right? Because they weren't in their bodies. Because when a trauma response actually is happening, the nervous system takes over. And our ability to even think and feel it kind of goes into the back. So what's really interesting there is the nervous system is constantly sizing it up. And it will say, okay this person's smaller than me, I can fight them. This person's far away, I can run away, I can flight. I can't get away from this person, I'm gonna have to freeze. Or this person seems like someone I could really charm and attract, I'm gonna work them a little bit. And the nervous system is doing all this, we're not like consciously choosing it. So it's always good just to remind ourselves how, what a, what a mechanism this is, like we're born with it for survival animals have it you know we think of a cat who turns on his back and shows you his belly that's a fawning response like i'm here for you touch me i won't hurt you so you know we do this to to live and survive on the planet but yes sizing up based on the experience and whatever the threat is the body decides like in a nanosecond which trauma response to mobilize into wow you're blowing my mind here i again i'm just i i'm so fascinated by the whole fact that really the trauma response is a good thing. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> That's the piece. Yes. It's such a good thing. What happens is there's these three kind of stages I put it in. So it makes it really simple. There's the stimulus, which is the possible or actual threat. There's the trauma response, which is the body's automatic response to save you or survive the threat. And then there's the regulation period where the body says we survived. And then the eyes look around and maybe you get a hug or maybe you settle down, you breathe deeply. That's the step we don't enter into when we have PTSD. So the trauma response is beautiful because it's meant to be temporary. Where it becomes harmful is when it becomes a permanent baseline of our lives. So we're living in this baseline of flight, always ready to take off, always looking for threat. That looks like insomnia. That looks like overscheduling yourself. That looks like talking really fast. Looks like you know a sewing sewing machine leg oh, or sewing yeah. pedal leg is right, and so it looks like all these things because the body is actually stuck in flight. That's what hurts us. So yeah, trauma response is very good. We need them for survival. They're why we're here talking. Staying in a trauma response, developing in a trauma response. That's what creates imbalance. 
Yes, absolutely. And then for someone who's in chronic trauma, I mean, acute trauma can have this impact, but then to have chronic trauma as well, it's just a constant state of living in that. That's exactly right. And we have this term called overcoupling, which essentially means like an association. So when you're in a chronic traumatic state, so this is especially childhood developmental trauma, when the events are every day or several times a week, or even several times a year, something that's just consistent throughout the developing nervous system, the body overcouples these responses with survival. So the body decides we're just going to stay constricted because history tells us this is just going to keep happening. So even when we reach our 20s, 30s, 40s, and we're really far from these events that have you know really hurt us as children, that were actually threats, we could be 50 years from them. Our bodies are still saying it's going to happen tomorrow. So the body gets in this kind of um, habit, let's say, or this belief system of expecting threat. So it's always looking for threat. And the mind, sometimes it shows up through our thoughts because we might have extremely stressful thoughts when something beautiful is happening. Might lay down and, oh, it feels so good to lay in this bed. What if I left the candle on? What if this person is dying right now? What, 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 if, what if my car is going to explode? You know, all these things that our mind goes into because it's trying to keep us constricted because the body's overcoupled that with safety. So chronic developmental trauma, it's even a deeper overcoupling of thinking we have to stay hypervigilant for survival. Absolutely. Yeah. But doing somatic work and, and allowing the, yourself to recognize the symptoms and so forth, it can release that. Yes. Oh my gosh. That, that's, what, that's why I got into this work because I started, I couldn't find anyone who could help me with my PTSD. I went from therapist to therapist to therapist, and they helped me uncover more of my blacked out memories, but I didn't release them. Every time I found a new memory or had a new title or had more of an understanding, even of what happened, I would feel more PTSD symptoms. I wasn't feeling a relief and I, I couldn't, it was so frustrating. So I was going from one therapist to the other. I was wondering, why do I have more insomnia? Why am I binging again? Like, why am I terrified to leave the house? Like, what's happening in my body? And I just by chance found a somatic therapist someone referred me to. And I sat in her office and I remember her saying, she paused me as I was telling her a story in childhood. I was like, you know, this one day, she said, stop right there. What are you feeling? And it was the first time a therapist stopped me mid-sentence and said, where do you feel what you're saying? And she helped me in that moment notice, oh, my body is holding these events. They're not just events in my mind. And when I talk about them, they, they vanish. They're in my body. And then it was this, this life-changing moment of, if it's in my body, I can actually relate to it. I can hold it. I can listen to it. I can guide it. I don't need to go back there even. I get to be with what's present, which is they're still reverberating in me. And then after, you know, over time, slowly started to release because these parts of me that thought they had to stay constricted and adrenalized started noticing, wait, it's 20 years later. Let's feel what this room feels like now, right? Let's feel what this body feels like now. Like so much is different now. And it's not a mind thing. It's a sensational thing. So the nervous system literally starts to update and says, whoa, I survived. I never felt my survival. Like I know it. People tell me, right? Like people might say you're a, like I, my, my title was a, a survivor of childhood sexual assault. That was my, my title. Mm -hmm. And so I kept thinking, oh, I survived it. Like why, why am I not getting better? I didn't feel my survival yet. 
right? And then when I started feeling it, I was like, oh my goodness, this feels so good. <laughs> I, I survived. And then the nervous system just completely releases what it's holding and you get to this new state of, of safety. Oh, Luis, you're giving me goosebumps. My eyes <laughs> welled with tears. It's awesome. Oh yeah. gosh. Yeah. You have me. I'm ready to sign up. I do. I still do EMDR therapy. I started back to it after with this physical journey and I thought I have to take care of my mental health. And, and we do like, we keep again, like, Oh, here's, we need to uncover this one. And, you know, like the onion, just slowly mm -hmm. peeling it back, peeling it back, peeling it back. But we keep talking about my thing is open spaces. And so mm. I'll say, and I live on this gorgeous Island, Hilton Head Island, and I love the beach. But when I get out there the other day, I said, oh, I'm going to test myself. My family was already out there. And so I was walking along and it's a pretty little hike. I grabbed onto a pole that had like dog poop bags on it. And I <laughs> was like, I have to run back. And so I was like mm. running back Kraus, and People around me were probably like crazy lady. <laughs> like, What is happening? <laughs> but once I got back to the, you know, the little boardwalk, I was like, okay, I'm now safe. So now yeah. I'm like so curious about doing somatic work on that. Well, what's really cool about that example, and one thing I talk about a lot with these overcouplings, is when you have PTSD, especially when it's childhood developmental, but it can be acute as well, like you mentioned, the body says, again, constriction is what keeps me safe. Expansion is really dangerous. So when you're in these wide open spaces, even if there isn't a specific memory with a wide open space, just the feeling of being able to be yeah. open and unprotected can feel dangerous to the body. And then that I need to run back somewhere where I feel much more like huddled in. Right. Yeah. Yes. So it, it's like your work is literally to, to teach your nervous system that is safe to expand, but really slowly, really slowly. I would love to, I, I would love to invite you to my six week course. You know, I'd love to just give that to you as a gift. Oh, that's so sweet. Cause oh, the my... work that you do is yes. I think it'd be great for you to try, if, you know, whenever you feel ready. Yes. Oh, so I, I'm so excited. I, I swear I, when we were done recording, I was going to be like, how do I sign up with you? Where do I, what do I do? Because, because again, I, I love the idea of trying so many different modalities. Just when you were spoken, speaking a minute ago and, you know, mindfulness practice and using the senses to be very aware of being in the present moment and the, very much in the now. And, and that's been a huge help for me along my journey and many others. And we talk about it on the show. Um, so yeah, so coming across something again, I, I think it just comes to us as a gift when mm -hmm. God, the universe, whatever it is, it, like we're ready to accept it. And so I, this is just beautiful, beautiful I work. I completely agree. And I, I often, you know, I often say that for me, trauma response is actually life force from God. Like, I really believe it's just energy that's much bigger than us that moves through us and pushes us into a, a survival, like gets us out of a situation that would kill us. But our little human nervous systems aren't built to hold all that forever. It's That's why it's supposed to be temporary. So when they're holding that for decades, we have chronic health illnesses you know, and experiences and expressions. So uh, it is, trauma is a very sacred thing for me. You know, I don't see it as a, a negative. I see it as a absolute necessity for survival we just have become trauma disinformed in our societies in the last several hundred years so learning again how to relate to the trauma and feel it and speak to it it's a whole new lifestyle then oh for sure i mean trauma events they happen whether it's 
That's death right. of a death of a loved one or an accident or a, an illness what whatever it is uh, I mean it's just life happens <laughs> life and happens, so yeah. you're right like we need to be able to look at our responses then as a gift and mm-hmm. right yeah that's right the only it. thing missing is our response to the response that's yeah. that's the piece we haven't learned but life is inherently traumatic. Like it just is. It's it's a predictable future for us all that we're going to experience more trauma. However, we don't have to become traumatized. That's when yes. the trauma is just frozen in us. We can experience it and then move through it. And, and these practices, they, they teach us how to do that. Oh, that and that's exactly the most beautiful point yet is that we don't have to be traumatized by it. Yes, it's an event that is defined as trauma uh, but we don't have to allow it yeah that's exactly right yeah wonderful all right so is there anything else i'm just looking at our time real quick seeing how we're doing wow we could sit here and talk for a few more hours (laughs) (laughs) we could we definitely could (laughs) uh is there anything else that you wanted to address that we hadn't had an opportunity to talk about No, I think this is great. I think anyone listening, my favorite thing about somatic work is you can do it right now. You can feel what's coming up as Terry and I speak. You can notice what's your body showing you. You can even feel, oh, is there a thirst for this? Do I resonate or do I not? That's what I love about somatic work is it gives you your body back. It's not a product. It's not like a thing you have to go to a specialist for. Specialists will teach you. They're really good guides. But over time, it's your body that you're always with. So you get to learn how to do this. So it's it's so accessible and it's so empowering. And that's just what I love about it. Wonderful. So how do how do people connect with you? How do they find you? So I do what I do now is I offer a six-week course three to four times a year. And the course is amazing. It's like um, I don't even know how to explain it. It's it's transformed so much since I started it. I have this incredible team of people. I have a somatic therapist in training that offers one-on-one sessions for people who want to go deeper as they they do the work with us. We meet three times a week. We have an online platform where people can share however they're feeling. They can direct message me if they're if they're shy or they feel like it's private, they don't want to share publicly. But we learn so much from how to relate to these trauma responses. We learn how nutrition increases or decreases trauma response. We learn what herbal infusions to drink that will help our nervous systems and adrenals repair. We learn how to relate to people in ways that feel healthier for us. There's so much in the six weeks Um, and there's audio exercises and there's just so much support and it's a global community. So it's all these people from all around the world who are coming to listen to their bodies with other people. And it's incredibly unifying. So I, I, that's the best, that's the only way to work with me right now. Um, I'm retiring from private practice. That's what I did for a while. And the group work feels so much better for me because it's financially more accessible for others. And something about being in a space where everyone's kind of on that same journey and they're witnessing each other, it's so much more sustainable uh, than how I was working before with individuals, specifically with the kind of work I do, specifically with the work that I, the way I do my work. Right. So yeah, the, the six week course is the best way. Um, I also have a podcast that anyone can listen to and just kind of feel uh, into the practices even instead of, or before they, they do the course. And then awesome. we have a membership for people who take the course who want to and do is that weekly work. on a website. Is that on your website? Oh yeah. Sorry. Everything's on okay. holistic life navigation.com is everything's there. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah. 
Oh, again, I'm so excited. I'm, it's just been such a joy to have you here. And thank you for the beautiful light you shine to, out into the world and the work you're doing. Oh, you too. Thank you so much. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And remember, until next time, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Terry Welbrock again. Just wanted to thank you for listening to the episode today and remind you to visit my website as well as the academy.terrywellbrock.com for the courses. But if you go to my website, terrywellbrock.com, you can sign up for my monthly Hope for Healing newsletter, which is also jam-packed with information and strategies and blog pieces and guest blog pieces and links to shows um, and just a great space for, uh, again, healing and hope. Thanks for, again, being here and being a part of this healing space. I very much appreciate you. All right. Bye-bye.